This is Understanding Money and I am Owen McGee. This one is all about mortgages. How to get one specifically is what we're talking about today. We did one on property a couple of weeks ago. Go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to it. We're going to zone in on how do you get your mortgage? What's the rules and how does it all work? We're going to talk to Antoinette later on. She's new to Prosperous. Just started this week. And she's going to talk to us about Prosperous and mortgages and how to get them and her experience and how it works. We're also going to do your Q&A as usual. Your questions are a huge integral part of the show. Keep sending them in and then we'll wrap it all up and we'll try and give you a summary of what the tricks of the trade are when it comes to getting a mortgage. First of all, what is a mortgage? A mortgage is simply a loan. That's all it is. It's where you borrow money Usually the cheapest money you're ever going to buy. And the reason why it's the cheapest is because, A, it's quite hard to get them because the bank puts you through the mill to make sure that they are protected, that they're going to get their money back. It can be a bank, it can be a credit union, and actually it can be a government agency as well now, and we'll touch on each of those that you can get your mortgage from. But they do put you through the ringer. They're going to make sure that they're satisfied that you're going to be able to afford this loan. But they also have to adhere to the central bank rules. So there's rules there, and we're going to talk about them in a second, around the central bank and how much the banks, the credit unions and whoever else can give you in your mortgage. But it's at the cheap rate. The bank are satisfied that you're going to be able to make the loan repayments, but they also have security on the other side. And this is really important. They have security of the house itself or the apartment or the property, whatever it is you're buying. They take a charge over that. And what I mean by a charge is they actually legally own it until you've paid the money back. And it means that if you default on the loan, if you don't make the loan repayments, they have to go through a whole court process to try and implement it. But technically, they can take the house off you or the property off you and sell it and get their money back. So there's two things going on in a bank's mind. One is, can you afford the repayments on a month-to-month basis? And the second is, is if you can't afford the the month-to-month repayments, is the property going to be valued at a level that they can get their money back in the mortgage and cover their costs? So... What does that mean to you? If you want to go to a bank or an institution to get a mortgage, you need to present yourself in a way that satisfies them. You're going to make the loan repayments on a month-to-month basis, but also that if things go belly up, they're going to get their money back plus their costs. When they start to look at you, all of the institutions, government agencies, strangely enough, are slightly different. But if we're talking about credit unions and banks here, let me just say call them banks. Just to, We're talking about them all, but just for my head, let's just call it banks for the moment, right? When you're walking into the bank, all the banks have to adhere to the same rules when it comes to the central bank. So the central bank, after 2008, we had a massive property crisis. We had people would believe that we overextended. People were getting seven, eight, nine. I have heard, we did it on the TV show a couple of years ago where I, where I said someone got seven times their salary on a mortgage. That means if they were on a hundred grand, they got a 700,000 euro mortgage or a 50 grand, they got a 350,000 euro mortgage. Their salary was 50 and they were borrowing 350. And at that time when that show went out, loads of people came to me online and said, I got eight times, nine times, ten times. And it was ridiculous what banks were actually handing out. So after 2008 and after the problems that we had with that and after the property crisis we had, the central bank came in and said, OK, we're going to put some manners on the banks here. And what they said, and forget about what the original rules were, because the rules were changed again in October 22. So let's just not confuse it. The current rules are, if you're a first time buyer, you can get four times your salary. So if you're on 50 grand a year, you can borrow 200,000. If your partner's also on 50 grand a year, that means you've combined 100,000 between the two of you. That means you can borrow 400,000. 
That's what the central banks say. So the maximum you can borrow is 400,000. That doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get 400,000 if you're both on 50 grand each. It just means the central bank doesn't want the bank to give you any more than that. There's other rules and criteria that come along with it. But that's the first criteria. On the other side, if you're a first-time borrower, it's actually, it's four times for a first-time buyer. If you're a second-time buyer, so if you've already owned a property and you're going again and you're selling your property and buying a month, then we're down to three and a half times. On the other side, central banks say, we want you to have skin in the game. And the bank themselves want you to have skin in the game in terms of they want you to put a deposit down. So the deposit they're looking for is a 10% deposit minimum. So that means you can borrow 90% of the purchase price. So let's keep the math simple. You're buying a house for €300,000. You're a first-time buyer or you're a second-time buyer. You're going to need 10% of that of your own money, which is €30,000 on a €300,000 property. Now, you can get a bit of help with that. You can get a gift of it from family or friends. And there's, there's things you can do there to get some help on that. But you can also use your what's called the help to buy. The help to buy is a scheme where you can get a refund of up to 30000 per individual or per couple. It's a maximum of 30000 for the purchase. Up to €30,000, a refund of the taxes you've paid over the last couple of years. If you're wondering how much tax have I paid, go on, log in to the help to buy and they'll come back to you after a couple of days and say, this is how much you would get if you were drawing down help to buy. Help to buy is for, for new homes only or for self-builds. It's not for second-hand properties. And we could argue, why is that or is that fair? The reason why is because government, in simple terms, are looking at it and saying, we're happy to give you help to buy your house by giving you a refund of taxes towards your deposit, but we want the to increase the supply of housing. So they're trying to encourage the increase of supply. And that's why they're encouraging people to buy new houses and they're, they're providing it on that and they're not doing it on secondhand houses. So just to recap there what we're talking about, we're talking about you're going to get four times your salary if you're a first-time buyer, three and a half times your salary if you're a second-time buyer. That's the maximum you're going to get. And then on the other side, you're going to have to have a 10% deposit whether you're a first or a second-time buyer. You can get help from your family or help to buy from the government if you're buying a new property and refund your taxes. But the bank will also want you to see that you have some skin in the game. Typically, they'll look for you to have a couple of percentage points of that 10% is your money. And that's important as well because they want to see that you've been consistent. There is a thing called exceptions on our exemption. And an exemption is where in 15% of all cases, the bank can break the central bank rules. So they can give you four and a half times is the number that's bandied about there. So instead of getting four times your salary, you might get four and a half times your salary. We might talk to Antoinette a little bit later on about who gets exception exemptions and who doesn't. Interesting enough, I was speaking to the central bank last year. When they moved up to four times, I said, is the four and a half going to move up to five? And the central bank actually said to me, the four and a half times is something that the banks themselves have introduced. The central bank actually hasn't said the maximum you can go to is four and a half, but that's something the banks have done themselves. So you again, we'll ask Antoinette this a little bit later on, but I haven't seen a whole pile of cases that are breaking the four and a half times rule. But interestingly enough, it's not a central bank rule. It's a bank themselves have imposed that rule on themselves. So you can get an exemption, but in simple terms, you need to be the best boy or girl in the class to get one of those exemptions because they can only give them out to 15% of cases that they do. If you are thinking of getting a mortgage, one of the questions that people ask me about is, when should I start looking at getting a mortgage in terms of, am I buying a property next week or next year? When do I start looking at getting the mortgage, get myself in line for mortgage? Ideally, you would start thinking about a mortgage two years before you were ready to buy. Now, I said ideally you would start two years. And ideally what you would do is you go into a mortgage broker. And the reason why I say a mortgage broker and not a bank, if you walk into a bank, you walk into 
a bank. If you walk into a mortgage broker, you walk into all the banks. And what I would say is, is two years out, you walk in to a mortgage broker and you say, will you have a look at over my finances? Will you just tell me what you think? Is there anything I'm going wrong on? Why are the problems? What do I need to get sorted out? What do I need to fix? Because I'd like to go for a mortgage at some stage in the next two years. A good mortgage broker will give you the advice there. And the reason why they'll give, they might charge you a fee and that's fine. But the reason why they give you advice is because if they do a good job then, it's likely you're going to come back to them. But also, it's likely you're going to come back to them in better shape than you would have if you hadn't come into them. So they are kind of paying it forward for themselves that they'll get the business in the future in two years' time, but also they're going to get you in in great shape to be able to apply for the mortgage. And they will look over your finances. They'll give you an idea of how much you'll be able to borrow. And they might say, you know what, if you just change this, this and this, this is the difference it's going to make. So getting someone to look at your, your finances two years out is ideal. That doesn't mean that if you're walking by a property and you fall in love with it and you haven't been thinking about getting a mortgage, but actually you've decided, you know what, I have some savings there. I'm ready to go. I wonder the bank think I'm ready to go. It is possible that somebody who hasn't tried to look after their finances or hasn't done anything, thought about mortgages for two years in a row, that they could walk into a bank and get approved. I'm just saying ideally two years out would be a great time to say, where am I at? What do I need to change? What behavior do I need to exhibit to the bank to make me look like an attractive person to give a mortgage to? Exemptions are one of those things that people really get caught up in and are often asking me in a Q&A on Saturday on Instagram, how do you get an exemption? The reality is, they're really just for the best boy and girl in the class. They are the banks, and the, interestingly enough, the banks have got a better of it over the years where it used to be a thing that you used up all their exemptions in the first half of the year and they'd none left for the second half of the year. They've gotten to spread them out a bit more. But also, you could walk into a bank branch today And they'd say, no, you can't have an exemption and walk into the same bank, but a different branch of the same bank the next day. And you might get an exemption off them because, again, they've tried to centralize this more. But particularly at the very start of exemptions, the issues was that the exemptions were 15% of the loan book per branch. So if that branch that you walked into on day one was out of exemptions, it didn't mean the bank were out of exemptions. It meant that branch was. And that can be the same sometimes with mortgage brokers as well. So you need to ask them, have you used up all your exemptions already? Where are you at? What's the chances of you getting the exemption? Because you do need to make sure, and they might be able to bring you to a different bank, but you do need to make sure that it's it's not you, it's them, is the thing you need to be careful of. Exemptions are a strange thing. There's no real rules around them. They give them to people when they can, and they give them to people that they want to give them to. But let's actually talk to Antoinette a little bit more deeper about who's getting them and who's not getting them, because I think that's one of the areas where we can really improve on trying to put our best foot forward if we need an exemption. And you know what? If you're putting your best foot forward for an exemption and you don't need it, you have a much better chance of getting the maximum of four times anyway. So let's talk to Antoinette. I'm joined by Antoinette. Antoinette, you are, this is a baptism of fire. So today is Thursday. The day we're recording today is Thursday. You started with Prosperous on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you couldn't so. really say no when I asked you yesterday <laughs> if you do this, could you? I, yeah, no, you pretended like it was a choice. I've got to be honest, you were down in the diary to come in here on Monday morning at 10 o'clock and we, we can't do it to her on their very, very first day. <laughs> so you come in it. as mortgage manager and just to explain to people without getting into too much detail about Prosperous, I did mortgages up until 2018, then I stopped and there was a couple of reasons why I stopped and we are right back into it and you were responsible for delivering the mortgage 
mortgages for customers and clients of Prosperous. That's new me. and yeah. old. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, getting into the new year now. Mortgage is my background, so looking forward to bringing something new and, and fresh yeah. to Prosperous, yeah. Yeah, back to the old days. Yeah. The reason why I wanted to talk to you today is because today's episode is all about mortgages. We can all look it up on Google and look at the rules and see this is how much I'm allowed to get four times or three and a half times as a second time buyer. I need a 10% deposit. We all can see what the rules are. But what I want to do is get under the bonnet a little bit. And I think the easiest way of getting under the bonnet is there's two questions I'm going to ask you and I really want to focus on in the next few minutes. And they are, how does someone get an an exemption? And secondly, what's the worst mistake? And we'll come back to that one. What's the worst mistake you've seen people make? Or what's the one that catches people out? all the time and something maybe that people don't realise is a problem. And there's a few out there that I'm aware of, but let's see if you've got something fresh or something new that I haven't come across. Okay. So, first of all, an exemption, just to, for people who don't know, the central bank rules say you can get four times your salary as a first-time first buyer. buyer. Second-time buyer, three and a half times your salary. Yeah. You, you need to have a 10% deposit and whether you're first or second-time buyer. And that has those two rules apply to 85% of the cases that the banks do. That's right. But in 15% of the cases, they can break those central bank rules and they can kind of go off piste a little bit and do what they need to do. I kind of always summarise it as it's always the best boys and girls in the class get an exemption. Yeah. But what is it? Is there rules and is there maths and is there kind of a criteria that allows you to figure that out? Yeah, there's a bit of everything and, and different lenders will have different rules and different criteria. So, you know, we know the, the four times your gross annual salary. We know that's one rule and we know the 90% loan to value is the other. So the exception or the exemption comes in when you go outside of those two mm. uh, rules. So, for example, um, you have a couple earning 100,000 joint combined salary. Under the rules, they qualify for a mortgage of 400,000 with an exception on the loan to income. So that's the, the, that four times with an exception on, on that rule. You can potentially go above that four times gross annual salary rule. Mm. And the bank might say, well, instead of you showing us that you can repay 100% of the of the the current mortgage repayment you need to show us that you can repay in the last 6 months prove to us that you've been able to repay 1.3 times what the, the the repayment is just to give an example of that so you're talking about if they calculate that the mortgage repayment is 1000 euros a month you need to show that you can afford 1300 euros a month with that exactly. calculation and prove it in the previous 6 months and that 6 months is really the bible you know and how do you prove that so it can be a combination of your rent or your savings or a discontinuing loan. So if you actually had a loan that's that's going to finish and you've maybe saved, so if you've got a loan for 500 and you're saving 1,000 and that loan is going to be finished when you draw down your mortgage, you've proven then that you can take on a monthly repayment of 1,500. So it could be rent, savings or a loan that's about to disappear mm-hmm. or a combination of all of, of those all three. Of all of those, yeah, okay. absolutely. And it's it's not always 1.3 times though, so sure it isn't. And it's not always the same rules. The no. rules can change from a day-to-day basis. Day-to-day, like, bank-to-bank, you know. Um, Branch-to-branch? Yeah, so in some scenarios, uh, lenders will have, with that 15% that they're allowed to, to do as exception, if you went into a branch today of, of your bank, your high street bank, uh, that branch might be able to grant you the exception or get you the approval for that exception. You could go to the, the same bank, different branch down the road, and they wouldn't have that. Because they've used them all up. They've used them all up or they don't. They haven't done enough business maybe with their mortgage team. Similarly, with brokers, you might have that scenario. They they don't they haven't done enough business or they've used up all their exception allowances. Okay. 
Um, and the interesting thing, though, is, is sometimes the bank as a whole have decided, OK, we've used up most of ours as a bank. And then they just up it from instead of 1.3 times, we need 1.6 times or we need even more than that again. Yeah, they, so we've seen that. And, and in the last year, when the rules changed with the central bank guidelines going from three and a half times your annual salary to, to four times, some of the banks decided that they would make it even stricter to be able to qualify for an exception or... Some of them have also just said we're not doing exceptions as so a blanket some, rule. Just won't so full stop. Some lenders don't do them at all. At and the, are at they the saying at the, at the moment? At the a, moment, yeah. And again, that could change. Mm. And, and it's kind of a, a you know a moving target throughout the year. Um, I find that really interesting because so just to give people a little bit of backstory, up until October twenty two, wasn't it? It yep. was three and a half times for first time buyers, the maximum the three and a half times the combined salary or your own salary if you're applying by yourself, and it moved to four times. For both first-time buyers and second-time buyers, moved to four times. Second-time buyers is three and a half times. Three, sorry, it's the ten percent that stays the same. Yeah, yep. so three and a half and the four. So yeah. they moved up to four for first-time buyers. And I remember I discovered for the very first time when they used to give exceptions, they go up to four and a half times. So they go for a first-time buyer, they're going from three and a half to four and a half, and that was the exception. And I actually asked the central bank at the time, "What's going to happen to four and a half if you're moving from three and a half to four for first-time buyers?" does that mean the four and a half is going to move to five for first-time buyers? And they said, well, actually, the four and a half has nothing to do with us. That's just the cent- That's the banks themselves so, that decide so, to do that. Yeah, they've, they've built in this 15% where the banks or the lenders can go outside of their policy or their rules, but they haven't put a limit. They haven't said, right. you, you can only go up as far as four and a half times if you're doing it as an but exception. But all the banks did that together and but, they all yeah, more or less stuck to the same rule. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, there, there probably are cases that they've gone above the four and a half times, but, mm. you know... Every box they weren't. They weren't advertising that, though. Sure, they weren't. No, certainly not. Certainly yeah. not. What about where things trip people up? Like, what things have you seen where you kind of go, "This case looks all right," and then you see something in the statements, or you see something, and you just go, "Oh no, there's going to be a lot of explaining to be done here." So the simplest ones are misdirect debits, right? You know, and it might be just to your savings account. Mm. It might be something that you don't think is that important. Isn't it? I haven't missed my loans. I haven't missed my rent. I remember years ago having a fella, but he was he was denied his mortgage. Everything looked great, but he missed his health insurance contribution. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, it's just my health insurance. I don't even have to have that. And sometimes they're just looking for an excuse yeah. to say no. Yeah. But there is that question, you know, you've committed to paying this. This mm. is, why are you not meeting your obligation or something that you've agreed to do? And even if it is only transfers between your accounts, it just doesn't look good. Mm. Don't like to see things bouncing on your on your statements. Um, Tell me about betting, because I always talk about betting. And my, and my attitude is, is against kind of echoing what you're saying. It's not that you're guaranteed to not get your mortgage if you've got betting account going out of it, but it's giving them an excuse if they want to say no. Sure. If there's another maybe reason or you're, you know, it's a, it's a borderline case, maybe. If it's a regular feature, if it's impacting anything else, if it's impacting your ability to repay in any shape or form, it's going to be seen as a negative. It's going yeah. to be seen as a red flag. It's okay to see Paddy Power on a statement, mm. you know, or, mm. uh, you know, lottery or, or whatever it might be. It's being sensible about it, you know. Okay. You're not relying on it as a source of income. And you're also, it's not something that is stretching the account in any shape or form. Or it's a source of income. It's a good one, actually, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's not do that. <laughs> of course I can pay for the bread and milk. And what about, have you ever come across a case where you looked at it and you said, you know what, the credit history here is just really, really bad and I'm really going to have to put, really put everything into this to get it across the line. And I'm hoping you're going to give me a good news story. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely have had cases that, that you really have to pull on every avenue, you know, in terms of, 
proving that somebody has turned a corner or that was a blip or it was a mistake. It's really about explaining what happened yeah. and how that's not going to happen again. And putting your again. hand up, for, up front. And I would say absolutely that's key. If you're dealing with a broker particularly, lay your cards on the table. The broker mm. will help you through it and will give you guidance as to how we can get beyond. It might be that you have to wait six months. It might be that you have to wait another one yeah, or two yeah. years. But if it's doable at all, your broker will be able to guide you through that. Um, I've definitely had cases where particularly... You know, we had the 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 massive crash around two thousand and seven, two thousand eight. That time, it really a lot of people were affected in terms of their their credit record and their their central bank, central credit register mm. uh, record. We're well out of that now, but there is still some people who have maybe um, financial hangover hangovers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so it's explaining that, and you know, I've been on the other side of it where we have gotten those cases across the line. Okay. So it's okay. I think dealing with a good broker. And being open. I think that's a good point. And I'm talking about uh, this isn't just about prosperous. I'm talking about brokers in general. Like people sometimes, why would I go to a broker? I know what the cheapest rate is. The difference for me is you walk into a broker, you walk into all the banks, you walk into a bank, you walk into a bank. But you've just touched on something else there, which is uh, look, you can be dealing with a bank and someone in a branch in a bank. And yes, absolutely, they're holding your hand through the process. But I think if you're dealing with a good broker, you are actually both sitting on the same side of the desk together, applying for the mortgage that's together. It. And that's the difference. But it's you, You're in it together. And the person in the branch may well be absolutely helping you and they may be brilliant and they may explain everything. I'm not taking away from that. But what I'm saying is, is they ultimately, they work for the bank that's giving you this mortgage. Absolutely. And they, they, they know who's paying them. Right? They sure. know what name is on their payslip sure. at the end of the month. I'm not saying they're not doing a good job. I'm just saying it's a different relationship. And that's and, important. And I've been, I suppose, that... I've been in both of those situations, so right. working for a bank and as a broker. So you always have your your client's best interest at heart. But you're you're right. You don't have all the options open to you when you're working for one bank. Yeah. As a you know, as a mortgage advisor. It's interesting. I pulled out of the mortgage market in 2018 as a broker because one of the things one of the things it's it's very much a relationship killer. It can really destroy it. It wasn't my area of expertise. It wasn't prosperous areas of expertise. And I always felt, you know what, if someone's going to look for a mortgage, I'm not sure we're best place to be giving them the advice. That's why I'm really excited about you coming in because you're bringing the expertise in, you're bringing the experience in. You've got a big task ahead of you. Yeah. Do you love it? I do. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been doing it for so long now, but I love it. I love that it is a relationship builder mm. and it's a journey. So I like the process of beginning, middle and end of something, but also that you've you've built a relationship. You've built something that you can be very proud of when mm. somebody's getting the keys to their house. And most of any business that I do is from word of mouth is people telling Brilliant. other people about me. So I think... That's great. And it's a great, uh, it's a feel good factor for me. So, yeah. so yeah, I want to do a good job and, and it's it's definitely something that, that I love. Yeah, I calling. do. Antoinette, thanks a million for being here today. Thanks for your insight. And you know what? Best of luck with your career in Prosperous. Thanks. You're very welcome. Looking forward to it. I'm joined by Amanda. Amanda, you're very welcome back. Thanks a million for coming in. We're going to go through some questions. Will we just yep. jump straight in? Yeah, jump straight in. Question number one. Let's go for it. Um, I have two questions. One probably feeds into the other. We're trying to get mortgage ready and my partner has a €5,000 loan with an institution. We have a separate savings account. We have a savings account for the deposit and then I have a separate account that I have a bit of money in. I would have enough money to clear off that loan. Should we do that before we apply for the mortgage? And the other thing is, 
I am pregnant, am I obliged to inform banks or financial advisors that I am pregnant? I am being paid. I'm lucky um, with work. I'm paid for the next six months. But is that something that I have to disclose? Thank you. So it is two and one there. Two and one. Let's go to the second one first. And you can remind me then what the, sec- what the first one was. The second one was around the pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. Interesting enough with pregnancy, like you're getting, that person's getting paid for six months. It's not going to affect their finances. Assume mm. they're not going to take time off. There's no reason why you would hide it from the bank. In fact, I remember it. Now, this is years ago, right? But I remember an application where they had two kids and without the kids, they didn't qualify. And with the two kids on the application, they did qualify, really? which was some, I think it was just a glitch in the matrix or something, okay, whatever yeah. way it had worked. But that's that's actually what happened. But like this person shouldn't be worrying about it. In general, what I would say is, is that the last thing when it comes to a mortgage application, whether it's to close, disclosing that you're pregnant or disclosing or hiding something else, right? My advice is you are better off getting everything out on the table at the start Mm. because the last thing you want is to be much deeper into the process, them to discover it for themselves, them to question everything else you've told them and find, and then the whole thing falling apart. The trust. Yeah, the trust gets broken down. And that accounts for if you've had a problem with with loans in the past, you're Mm. better off coming up front and putting your hand up and doing it like that. Pregnancy, I would think, is the same thing. I would say, look, just if there's information that you think is material, get it out there, get it dealt with and move on as opposed to it coming back to bite you in the arse at some stage. That makes sense? Yeah. And do they do, I don't know if this is true, this is something that I've just heard, that some banks, they lessen the amount that you can actually get on your mortgage based on how many kids yeah. that you have. Yeah. So what happens with it is, is that you, the central bank says you're allowed to borrow four times your salary, right? We've yeah. covered that, right? But they do need to make sure that when you make the loan repayments, that you still have a salary, an income left over to cover the cost of yeah, your living, yeah, right? Yeah. And the cost of your living does increase based on how many kids, kids you have. You have yeah, so yeah. if it's a really tight loan, like interestingly, it used to be a case with mortgages that you could, that there was a different calculation, without getting too, calculate, too technical about it, there was a different calculation, which meant you could borrow much more than the four times. Okay. And therefore, now that the rules have come back to four times, four times your salary, there is a little bit more manoeuvring to be done. Okay. There's a little bit more space left over with people's income. Yeah. Because the four times is a little bit stringent compared to what we the way we used to do it. Yeah. So the answer to your question is yes, each child adds a cost to how much money you need to have left but over. It's, yeah, after it's the more mortgage. to do with the yeah. cost. Yeah, it's to do with the cost. Yeah, right. absolutely. So that's second into account. I think the first question was, correct so me if he, I'm wrong. Yeah, he has a loan. So they're going for a joint application, mm. herself and her partner. Um, he has a loan of five grand. She has savings there to pay off that loan yeah. of her own money. Yeah. And her question is, should they do that? Should they clear before? off the loan? Yeah. If you're that close to being mortgage ready and applying for the mortgage, you're not going to be disadvantaged in any way to let the bank decide what they want you to do. Yeah, yeah. So walk into the bank and say, listen, have this loan, have the savings there. Do you want me to clear the loan or do you want me to put more, more of my savings into the house? What would you prefer me to do? If it was miles away, say you were five years away from or three years or four years, then I'd start weighing up, clearing off the loan, saving the interest on it, and then trying to repl- replenish the money that you just used to clear off the loan. Okay. But if they're, this person sounds like they're close enough to it, yeah, yeah. Then, then get the bank to decide what the right thing to do for them is. Because okay. it might be different for different people. Yeah. We go for another one? Yep. Okay, let's go for question two. Hi Owen, my husband and I have just gotten mortgage approved and we really don't know how to work out how much we can afford to pay every month. Is there any way to know for sure that if we take out the maximum we've been offered that we'll actually be comfortable in paying that in the future because the mortgage will be 25 years? We'd love to know your thoughts. Okay, 
First of all, what I'd say to you is this person sounds like they might be worried about having loan repayments that they can't afford. There's nobody more worried than the bank. Yeah, right? yeah. They want to make sure that you can afford it. The central bank want to make sure you can afford it. The central bank rules mean that if you get approved for the loan, it's likely that on paper you can afford this. Or it mm. is, it's true that on paper you can afford this. Sometimes we need a little bit more comfort than the bank's been satisfied and we need to satisfy ourselves. This is where the 35% rule comes in. Okay. So the 35% rule is, is you can afford to spend 35% of your wages on your financial commitments. Okay. Not utility bills, not creches, not any, I'm talking about financial commitments and creche actually throws the whole thing up in the air. I shouldn't have mentioned that, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but your financial commitments are your mortgage repayments, your loan repayments, your rent. If you're not, if you're not paying a mortgage, your rent. So your car loan, your personal loan, any loans you have and your rent and or mortgage, rent stroke mortgage, whichever one you have, should not be more than 35% of your salary. So in simple terms, if your take-home pay in a month is €1,000 a month, €350 a month is what you can afford for your financial commitments. When you go over that, it's not sustainable long-term. There are lots of people, particularly in Dublin, Galway, Cork, Limerick, who are probably paying 50-55% of their salary, even more, out on rent. Mm. Never mind if it's a mortgage, right? Paying it out on rent. And what happens there is, is it you can keep things at bay for a little while, but sooner or later, you're going to start dipping into overdraft. Mm-hmm. You're going to start dipping into credit cards. And people might be saying, well, what, what can I do? What can I do? This is this is where I have to live. What I'm saying to you is, is that don't wait for the problems to hit. Try and do something to make some change now, whether that's getting someone to move in with you, sharing, getting a smaller place. Like these are the really, really difficult, hard decisions mm-hmm. that need to be made because if you haven't created a financial problem for you now because you're breaking the 35% rule, it's in the post. It's coming to you. You need to be aware of that. and You need to make whatever changes you can now before you end up in financial strife with this. Okay, so this person should make sure that they're within the 35% limit. And I suppose I think it's important. I know you've touched on this at different times as well. More than likely, your salary and stuff is going to go up over the next couple of years. Mm. Your mortgage payments should actually seem like less over the next couple of years. But I, I, I was the same, like when you're locking into your mortgage, yeah. it is a kind of, oh God, I'm locking into this payment per month. You and are. it seems like a it seems like a lot, but And it's you've actually touched on something else. Sometimes people say to us, I want to pay more off the mortgage each month and I'm going to yeah. pay a little bit extra after yeah. month because I want to get rid of it, right? What I'm much keener on people doing is is keep the mortgage coming down on a month to month basis and pay off the mortgage as it falls due. But then build a savings spot on the other side. And obviously yeah. you obviously if it's more than five years, we're going to use a long term yeah, savings yeah, spot. Yeah. So you get to the point where you've got enough in your savings to clear off the mortgage in one go. Because you get a huge emotional benefit for clearing off a mortgage in full, but I'm not sure you get the same emotional benefit by doing a little bit extra every month, right? Yeah, yeah. But you're also keeping all the control on your side of the table. You've all the control now. You're controlling your savings and you have the mortgage coming down. But when the amount of times a client builds up the savings, now they've got enough in the savings to clear off the mortgage and they say, uh, the mortgage doesn't really bother me anymore. Yeah. All right. Because as as your time moves on, the it's mortgage just the re- safety. It's having yeah. your safety net there that if something is to go, it's the same with having your buffer. It's the same with having anything. Yeah. It's just having that safety net is actually, it just makes you so much more comfortable. Yes. And it's about keeping the control on your side because yeah. the more control you have of your finances, the more comfortable you're going to feel. Okay. Third question. Let's go. Hi guys. I listened to the pod. It's really, really informative. I just have a question on... Um, saving for a mortgage. So I'm in my 20s. I have the bones of 20 grand saved for a mortgage. My partner, I'm not sure what his story is. Um, I'm just wondering from my side of it, about three, two years ago, I invested um, a sum of money into 
um, a family business and I am getting interest in return on it. And I don't get the full sum back until uh, the fifth year. So I have another three years to go. I'm just wondering in the new year, we're planning on going for a mortgage. Will they see only the X amount that's in my bank account saved? Or will they take into consideration that I have that sum of money? It's like it was an investment for me. Um, will they take that into account as well? Um, thanks very much. I messaged this uh, lady back just to clarify the 20 grand is separate to the investment okay. that she put into the family business. So she has the 20 grand still there. Okay. And then she has a separate amount invested okay. in a family business. And basically her question is, is the bank going to recognise the money that she has invested in yeah, the business? Okay. as part of her savings. No. Yeah. <laughs> They're not. Sorry, yeah. and let's just be really clear about why. First of all, it's not available today to go into no. the house or yeah. to go into the purchase price. So it doesn't really make a difference. Right? It's not it, like what the banks want to see is, is that you've got skin in the game, that if you've got your 10% deposit covered off, yeah. great. Yeah because they want to know that if they have to take the house back off yet and they want to clear off their mortgage and cover their costs. That's what it comes down to. So that money isn't available to go into the house. So it's not it's not going to be taken into account. But also, if I were the bank, I'd be going, it's a family member. Like, we have clients all the time who come to us and say, oh, my brother or my sister needs a loan of money or my uncle needs a loan of money. Business is really successful. I'm going to put the money into them. And generally, the way we do it, and this person might be very different, but generally when we're building out their financial plan, we put it down as an expense, not a loan. We assume it's gone. Okay, yeah. And if it comes back, great, it's a bonus. Brilliant. So when it comes to family and business, it often feels like the, it's the right thing to do. And yeah. And if you're in a position to help them out, help them out. But I don't know anything about this person's family business and the money that she's put into the into the business. But if I were a bank, I definitely wouldn't be confident that you're getting the money back. So therefore, I wouldn't yeah. be taking it into any mortgage application. She did say something else there, which I think is really interesting. What is it? Go on. What, what do you think are going to go on next? About the partner. Yeah. Yeah. Her yeah. Not, not knowing his situation. and Like, that's mad, Ted. Come on. Like, the, the two yeah. of you are about to buy a gaff together. Like, you need to. And particularly if it's if, like she's talking about in the next year or so, she's going to buy this house. Yeah, I think, she, I think she mentioned in the new year. So communicate. They need to communicate mm. on where they're at because... Sure, she can't even play with Daft at night time or my home.e at night time to figure I'm out. I'm sure she still is. I'm sure she still is, yeah, but she's dreaming. It's like she needs to step in. She yeah. needs to get her dreams and reality yeah, and get yeah. them mixed together it, for once. Get it in line yeah. and actually, yeah. because you're going into a big commitment together yeah. and absolutely, you need to figure out their situation as well. Do you remember that? Dreams and reality. No. <laughs> no, can I remember Ted and Duke? Ah, come on. <laughs> Dreams and reality. It's Oh, almost, yes, it's yes, almost, sorry, I it's do. It's almost yeah. as famous as, as this is small and that is far away. I think it's actually the same one. Yeah. It might be the same episode. Anyway, yeah, she needs the <laughs> dreams and reality to start coming together and she needs to have a chat with her partner. Yeah. That was the questions for this week, Amanda. Yep, I'll, Let's I'll do your usual call out. Is life getting easier? Are people sending you voice notes? Yes, life is getting easier. And uh, honestly, there's been so many really good ideas for future, future podcasts as well. So please do keep those coming in as well. And we are keeping them just because, you know, like yeah. we will come back to them. And I know there's some interesting guests as well. I've started putting their names forward in terms yeah. of we, I classify the type of guests on the show. They're going to be real people, yeah. which is real people. Real people with real stories. Yeah, yeah, or professionals. Yeah. And we've got some really nice real people coming forward and saying, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind coming on the show. And don't worry about people. And I know this is your message as well. People don't need to worry about where it fits in or what if it. Just tell us what your story is. Give us a bit of background. Yeah, yeah. And we'll make it fit because sharing your ideas, your stories help everyone. 
What's your WhatsApp? What's your number? So it's um, so send your questions or ideas uh, by voice note on WhatsApp to 87 0507. So that's 87 0507. It's gone actually too far now. I'm never going to catch you out, am I? Because no. this isn't your actual mobile. Like this is the no, pro- no, no, no. This is Prosper's work phone. So they were never going to catch you out. That you got to embed it in your head now. I know it now. Okay, what is it again? Oh eight seven two nine one zero five zero seven. Well done, excellent. Okay, Amanda, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. So that was a bit of a whistle stop tour. Your questions were excellent and I really hope Antoinette gave you the insight that you're looking for when it comes to what are banks really looking for. Let's just talk a little bit around the things that you need to be careful of when you're applying for a mortgage. I know Antoinette has covered on some of these, but let's try and give them a bit more succinctly. You need to remember that you need to have clean bank statements. And what I mean by clean, it's sometimes easier to describe what a dirty bank statement is. Dirty bank statement is your money comes in, you get paid, it comes in. It all goes out. You have nothing for a month. Your money comes in, you get paid, it goes out. You have nothing for a month. That's a dirty bank statement. Really what you want to see is a lovely kind of, yeah, it's fine to pay all your direct debits at the start of the month. That's all right. But you want to kind of see a gradual kind of, money's coming in and it's kind of tipping upwards all the time and a slow increase that you're not running out of money with two weeks left in the month. That the bank statement that you're making your direct debit payments when they fall due, that the standing orders are being paid, there's nothing being bounced. That's what a clean bank statement looks like. It looks like you're in control of your money and it's not controlling you. If you've got an overdraft, you need to get out of it. An overdraft is a loan. And what it says to a bank is, if you're in an overdraft all the time, what it's saying to the bank is, I'm always in an emergency. Overdrafts are for for emergencies. And if you're constantly in your overdraft, then you're constantly in a state of emergency. Remember, your financial history and your partner's financial history are now combined Sometimes you go into a new relationship and you're thinking to yourself, I wonder what their past relationship history is. Who have they been with and what type of relationships have they been in? Some couples will decide to talk about it all day and some couples will say that's off the table. We're not talking about our past relationships. When it comes to your past relationship with money, it's not up for discussion. You have to talk about it. You need to understand if they've had any problems, if they have any issues. The best way of doing that is get on to centralcreditregister.ie. Do it this evening. Go to your partner and say, I was listening to Don McGee's podcast this morning or today or whatever, and he was talking about Central Credit Register. Let's get on to the Central Credit Register together, darling. And you request your report, and I'll request my report. And in about 10 days' time, you're going to get a report from the centralcreditregister.ie. What you're going to know now is what the banks know about you. This is any loan you've ever taken out in the last couple of years, it'll be on the register, and any problems that exist will be listed there because this is what the banks rely on to find out what your credit history looks like. If there's mistakes, they can be corrected and there's a process for going through on that. But you're going to find out beforehand. If you've had a problem in the past and you're applying for a mortgage today, it doesn't mean you're definitely not getting the mortgage. But you need to satisfy the bank that this is why it happened. This is how I got out of it. And this is why this is never going to happen again. And you need to explain the circumstances because they're going to find out about it anyway. You need to go in in advance and tell them in advance, these are the problems I've had. But your partner's history is now your history too. And you need to have that conversation. It's an easy one. Get the register, central credit register report and sit down in 10 days time and have a chat. It's a lovely chat to have. You'll really enjoy it. The other thing is, is just be careful with betting. Um, sometimes you see people who are betting and you see it going through on their bank accounts. 
and it might be a flutter in the horses or whatever it is. And look, once a year in the Grand National, not going to be a big issue. The GA lotto is not going to be an issue. Lottery in general is not going to be an issue. It's just if it's consistent, the bank will look at it and say, they're willing to bet with their money. They're going to be willing to bet with ours. And are they actually going to make the mortgage repayments for us on a month-to-month basis? Or are they going to take the mortgage repayments and put them into their betting account? I remember years ago having a guy saying, uh, they said, look, the bank came back and said, we can see that there's a betting account there and we're not going to give them the, give them the money. You're not going to give your client the money on. And I went, went back to the client and I said, look, the betting account is there and they're happy. And he goes, no, no, I'm doing great in my betting account. Do they want to see my betting account? I'm doing really well. That's not the point. The point is, is they're worried that if you're going to bet with your money, you're going to bet with theirs. Having a betting account does not mean that you're definitely not getting your mortgage. It just can be the reason they use or the excuse they use not to give it to you. So just don't give them the excuse. If you want to bet, that's your call, but just don't drew through your bank accounts. Make sure you're making your own repayments on time. Make sure you're meeting your obligations as they fall due because you just want to put your best foot forward. As regards help to buy and shared equity schemes, like the shared equity scheme is really straightforward. It's not really straightforward, but basically what's happening is, is instead of you and the bank buying this house, your deposits on the bank, now what you're doing is you're introducing a third party. You're getting a mortgage, you're getting your deposits, and then the government are buying a chunk of the house as well off you. These things are brilliant for you if all the criteria are met. Help to buy is brilliant for you if you meet the criteria and you're buying a new house and you get a big chunk of tax back that you've paid over the last few years. These things are great for you. I'm not convinced that they're great for society. I'm not convinced that they're great in terms of driving house prices up because you put in help to buy or you put in the shared equity scheme and all of a sudden the person who's building the house just puts up the price to take into account that that's what they're there and they're getting help there from government money. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't use them. When it comes to buying your home, these are the tools that are available to you. Use them if they're available to you. I think life is difficult enough for the individual purchaser right now or the people, the couple buying their home. It's difficult enough to try and do it and whatever about the outer society and what it does for that, I think it's time to be selfish right now. If the tools are available to you, use them. But I think, in my opinion, overall, I'm not a big fan of what they're doing to society, but that's not your issue, is the point I'm making. You do need to try and put your best foot forward. You do need to start looking at your mortgage well in advance But that doesn't mean you can't look at it at the last minute. I'm just saying it's better if you look at it well in advance. It's a difficult process to go through. I made a decision. When I set up Prosperous in 2008, I had a mortgage license for 10 years. And for about until 2018, I had a mortgage license. And for about half of that, the second half of that 10 years, I made a decision. You know what? This is a difficult process to get people through. There's lots of moving parts. It's a real relationship killer. Like, there's one of the problems, if you are dealing with a mortgage broker, whether it's us or somebody else, or even if you're dealing with a bank, there's lots of stuff that's out of their control. It's with that department of the wait for it to come back. And as long as they're communicating with you, just give them a break in terms of, it can be a slow, frustrating process, and there's lots that's outside of the control, particularly for the mortgage broker. They package it up, they send it in, and they're really at the behest of the bank coming back to them and saying, yeah, that's approved or not, and how long that takes. They also are at the behest of the bank banks sometimes can come back with the most ridiculous requests and queries and it takes 10 days then they come back with a stupid question you answer the stupid question takes 10 days again and it can be a very frustrating process I always described it as a real relationship killer and in 2018 when my 10 year license was up I said you know what 
I'm just going to let this thing go because if I'm not perfect, if I'm not doing this as best I possibly can, well, then I'm doing a disservice to my clients. I'm delighted that Antoinette has come back into Prosperous because we're able to give mortgage advice again because you know what? I believe we can do it right now and that's why we're going back into it. But please, whether you're dealing with us or you're dealing with somebody else, remember it's a difficult process with a lot of moving parts. You need to just calm it all down. Try and leave yourself as much time as you possibly can because it's stressful enough buying a home. Never mind the stress and the process of going through the mortgage process. There's loads of information out there. We are going to revisit this And next time we revisit it, maybe you might come on the show and tell us about your mortgage process and how it went. Thanks for listening today. I hope you got something out of it. I hope you're a bit more insightful. You've got a little bit of a look under the bonnet in terms of how mortgages work. And what I would say is, I appreciate every listener we have. I appreciate everyone who jumps onto YouTube and watches the video of the longer version of some of the the interviews that we do. I really appreciate when you give us an L follow on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're consuming this podcast, because that is the thing that makes such a difference to what we can do in the future with this podcast. The guests we're going to get on, the topics we can cover. It's a very easy thing to do. Just hit that follow button. I appreciate all that. What Amanda appreciates is when you send her voice notes onto her WhatsApp and when you send suggestions onto her WhatsApp, what guests we should have on. And even more so, when you send a suggestion that you might even come on the show with us someday. This has been Understanding Money. I am Owen McGee. Thank you for listening. Thank you.